Just waiting on Chad Barrett here. Let's give it a couple minutes and then we can get started. How's it going, Chad? Doing good, man. What's up? So how's your, your space last night? Pretty good. Yeah, it was fun. Always fun to chat with the ThorSwap community. Just went over some updates, things like that. So a lot of stuff coming there. Yeah, what's what's new? Uh, well, this this week, definitely the Thor name launch was pretty exciting. So that UI went live on Tuesday. So it was cool to see the community start to play with Thor names. Um, did you see that? Did you see that data thread from one of the guys that go see the flip side stuff? And it was pretty interesting seeing like the use cases of Thor names so far. I'm sure we'll get into that stuff more in a, in a couple of minutes. But yeah. Yeah, I didn't really know what to make of that. Day. It, it was very interesting to look at, but uh, I, don't, I don't know what to take away from that. Yeah, agreed. It was, it was pretty early, uh, you know, only like a couple of days of data, really. But um, it was still cool to see. I thought it was funny that 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 one point about somebody registered a Thor name with 50 years of of, of subscri- subscription prepaid. I thought that was pretty interesting. That's conviction right there. It, it, was, the, it was a very random name, too. You're right. I, I didn't see that one. <laughs> Oh, I don't even remember which one that was specifically. I was that in the thread. I, I might have missed it. Yeah, I, I think it was there. It, it said it said the the name that was registered for fifty years, and it, yeah, it was just a random name. It's it's not like a, a word you'd recognize. It's maybe like someone's name or something. I'm not sure. Oh uh, yeah, I'm trying to find that. But yeah, they're pretty pretty fun to play with. Like definitely, if if people haven't messed with it yet, uh, you know, give it a try. What up, guys? How's it going? Sorry, I'm a little bit late. Hey, Chad. What's going on, man? What up? Uh, we were just talking about uh, Thornames. I guess we can just get started. We could start talking about Thornames. So Thornames is live right now. You can register a Thornames pretty easily on, on ThorSwap. Uh, and you can you can basically use it to send... Uh, you, you, you can put your like Bitcoin address, your Ethereum address in this Thornames that you registered. It costs 10 rune to register and then one rune per year. Uh, it just has the renewal fee. It's it's sort of like ENS, and you can just basically send. Uh, you know, you can send any any coin that is registered to your your Thor address. So if you have a Bitcoin address registered to it, you know, someone can send to you know familiar cow dot. Uh, you know, from, someone can send to familiar cow the Thor name, and then it you know it just gets routed to uh, that person who has it registered. So convenient for peer to peer transactions, and also uh, you know just. Kind of closing the loop there because uh, the pre-registration was was so long ago, and it, it kind of paves the way for uh, Monero coming up. So, yeah, interesting new feature that uh, you know is li- finally live after a long time of of waiting for it. Good for interfaces for affiliate fees as well, um, just because of constraints with the memo field. So, um, I know, like on the ThorSwap side, that <clears throat> I, I guess this would apply to all interfaces, <clears throat> but. For UTXO chains, it was too long prior to the Thor name uh, being used. So, so now interfaces can collect fees on UTXO chains because they can just fit the affiliate address with a short couple character Thor name if they want to. So that's another cool thing about it. Yeah, it's even more useful now just because uh, with Dex aggregation, uh, actually it's out in version 92, I think. Um, now there's even more data that you can kind of fit into that memo field, like more things you can fit. And so like the ability to kind of shrink things down uh, and be kind of concise is even more uh, useful. Yeah, and part of that being the limitations of the op return on on Bitcoin. It's only so big, so you kind of need it. You need a a short Thor name in order to get a fit and affiliate address into, uh, you know, something that has to use a Bitcoin memo to, you know, start the transaction. So if you're going from Bitcoin to something else, uh, previously, it wasn't possible for front ends to capture that that revenue, but you know, with with door names, you can just put in a door, uh, like a really short door name there. And I know I think DoorSwap just uses the letter T, uh, so you just you know throw throw that in there, and then they can collect the revenue from the transactions that go from Bitcoin, which is obviously like one of the biggest. Uh, you know, value drivers of the entire ThorChain network. Also for users, you can really easily swap out addresses if you want to change things over time. So like, let's say I have Chad Thoreau and I assign a Bitcoin address to that, but then I want to go back and actually change that. Super easy to do. And you only have to pay the gas. So you're only paying 0.02 rune to actually update and assign those addresses and change them around. Um, and right now, like the the address that buys the Thor name is the is the kind of like the controller of it, but in in the future, I believe that that will change, and then we might even see marketplaces and things like that pop up once you can fully transfer the ownership. Yeah, I think that's not uh, that's something we might be seeing at some point, probably, uh, possibly rather. 
uh, depending on what the community wants. If, if, if the community wants to create like a secondary market for these things, it's possible to create like an on-chain marketplace where you can like buy and sell and kind of like NFTs sort of in some ways. Yeah, I think I think it's a really cool idea. I mean, probably not the highest priority for the core devs to be working on. I don't know how difficult it is, but I do think it'd be a, a pretty fun thing to, to see someday. Uh, one yeah. other thing to mention on, on Thor names, just, uh, just in case people haven't, aren't too aware of it is just to be aware that this is not a universal thing across all of crypto and all wallets. So, you know, if you're just using MetaMask or sending from a centralized exchange, they're not going to be plugged in with Thor names. So, you know, only use this with interfaces and wallets that you know, are integrated with Thor names. Uh, if, if you send from some random wallet, and you just put in Chad or whatever, like it's not going to work. So just be aware of that. I'm sure we'll see most of the ecosystem projects rolling it out. Um, but yeah, just to be aware of that. All right, moving on. Yes, sorry. I was trying to look for the uh, the longest registered door name because uh, there was a very interesting thread that just came out of Flipside Crypto. Shout out to those guys. They're doing really awesome, uh, you know, on-chain analytics work. And, uh, you know, they put a really nice thread together about uh, about door names. I'll, I'll try and, and pin it up here. Um, but in the meantime, uh, you know, uh, just the other day, we just announced that uh, Thorchain.com is now live. So uh, we've been working on an update to Thorchain.com. It's in uh, the bio of, of Thorchain right now. And uh, I guess it's to be determined whether it'll, it'll always be there, but it's, a, it's just a new interface that people can go to and learn about Thorchain. And it's, it's really, it, it really was created just to be uh, you know, very simple and easy to uh, follow and understand what Thorchain does, and it drives users towards a couple of different core actions that you know we re- really wanted to emphasize on the the website. So, uh, you know, the first thing obviously being making a swap. So you, you can make a swap in like you know two or three clicks from the the Thorchain.com website. Also, you know, adding liquidity, learning what Rune is, and then uh, a page for integrations, showing that uh, you know any any developer can integrate Thorchain into their own you know, web app or, uh, or DAP or what have you. So yeah, new Thorchain.com website is live. Definitely check it out. It's the, the website in the, in the bio for the Thorchain account right now. And yeah, to be, to be seen whether, you know, that stays there, or, you know, the community can decide what they want as the, uh, you know, the, the main site, but it's just something that we've been working on for a little bit, like the nine realms team has been working on and, you know, excited to finally put that out there. So if anyone has comments or feedback on it, definitely love to hear it. You know, anyone that wants to come up and, you know, say, say anything about it, we're up here. So you just request and let us know. Did you guys check, sorry, did you guys check it out? I did, yeah. It's a great job with it. I know you were definitely one of the main people kind of leading that. So good work there. But yeah, it looks really clean to me. <clears throat> I, I do think we need just like a, a clean site like this for <clears throat> sorry excuse me I keep like it's getting all weird but um yeah you know like, like you were saying we, we just need like a good landing page for like a new user to stumble on because a lot of the other ones that have been kind of going around are great and go really in depth but they can be kind of like overwhelming as just like a, what is thorchain oh my friend has never heard of thorchain what do i send them <laughs> so i i think this is a good step in in that direction of just like a kind of like a flagship simplified uh, website just explaining what Thorchain's about. So yeah, great job. Yeah. So when me and Pluto were like creating this site, and you know, uh, we were thinking about the uh, like the, the current site. You know, someone that's like heard of Thorchain and thinks like, oh, I've heard that this protocol can you know make cross chain swaps. And they go to Thorchain.org, and it's it's pretty difficult to get to like a page like like Thorswap or DeFi Spot or uh, any of the Thorchain front ends. It's it's uh, there's a lot of info about like what Thorchain is. There's a ton of info about what it is and what the ecosystem is, but it's very difficult to actually get to a page to actually do an action that people would want to do on Thorchain, such as making a swap or adding liquidity. So that that's really the main goal behind this site to be really simple and uh, you know driving users to uh, be able to make swaps on the front ends that uh, you know offer Thorchain swaps. So that's a lot of impetus there what's up marcus i just brought you up what's up what's up uh so i have a question um i was trying to explain uh to my brother-in-law like the difference between like thorchain's uh ilp versus bancor's ilp 
And I was having a little bit of trouble. Uh, basically, I understand the, the difference between like protecting one side versus protecting both sides of ILP, right? Denominated in Rune versus one side denominated in just Bancor. But is there anything else I'm missing there? And is there somewhere we could put that on the site? to kind of clarify how possible. Yeah, I mean, to, to my knowledge, I don't I don't think there's a huge difference between the Bancor's implementation and ours. Uh, either case, you're measuring the amount of, I'm not sure if the, if the math they use is the same as ours. I never actually looked that, that much into the detail of it. But uh, in either case, you're looking at how much IL is experienced after a 100-day period and then reimbursing the user via, you know, um, either in, in Bancor's case, I think they're just minting Bancor uh, token. In our case, we take some rune out of the reserve uh, to kind of uh, supplement the user, but at a, high, at a high level, I think they're very quite quite similar. Well, there, I mean, I think there is actually like a lot. Of, there's different fundamentals when it comes to Bancor because they mint new tokens. Like basically, when uh, you know they were offering impermanent loss protection, they were essentially minting new tokens to provide for the impermanent loss protection, which then drove the price of the Bancor token down, which created more impermanent loss. They keep minting more. BNT in order to sustain that. So I think that's a, a, a big difference between the impermanent loss protection on ThorChain, where it, it comes out of a, a finite supply, which is already, you know, earmarked as the rewards to the system uh, that, you know, LPs would get. And this is just kind of taking from the future rewards of, uh, you know, of, of ThorChain liquidity providers and instead just giving it to uh, you know, an NLP that needs protection, but it, it's not actually inflationary on the token itself and it doesn't like, uh, you know, create some kind of death loop spiral. God, so these are emissions that would have been provided to um, LP providers and also node holders, am I correct there? It's out of that pool? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it comes oh. out of the reserve and the, the reserve is basically the fund that emits rewards to the uh, uh, liquidity providers in the nodes. Yep. Thank you. Uh, and also, yeah, so essentially, it's just a reallocation of those rewards. Like you know, instead of giving it out slowly over time, it just takes a chunk and gives it to an LP uh, for the protection. Cool. You guys made that super clear. Appreciate it. Sweet, sweet. All right. So yeah, thirteen.com launch. Also, um, in the bio, we put up a, a link tree in the bio. That's that's new. Um, something just playing around with and experimenting with. Uh, something to get basically like an aggregator to put all of the you know important. Door chain links in uh, one spot, especially like a lot of the community projects. I think, uh, you know, they, there's a lot of smaller projects that really get buried, especially, you know, and like, you know, small websites or just at like Telegram bots and apps and things like that. So, uh, playing around with that right now in the door chain bio. So, any, any feedback on that is always appreciated, but that's something that's new. So, moving on, let's talk about the Atom launch. So, Atom was just added to ThorChain. It's been testing on StageNet for the past couple of weeks and it's ready to go. So uh, Chad, what's the, the process to get Atom activated? So currently uh, the, the code is all there. It just needs to, we need another churn in order to activate the pools, correct? Yeah, so we need another churn and in the process of doing a churn, we um, produce a new uh, key. And that key, we just kind of publicize the new, from that key, we generate a pub key, and pub key, we generate a bunch of addresses for a bunch of different chains, including Adam in this case. And so we churn, I think it's going to be on Tuesday or around Tuesday. Um, we'll do a churn and then we'll have an, uh, an address to send, you know, Adam tokens to. And then once that happens, uh, somebody, and it, it technically it could be anybody, but I think the, the core team will, you know, uh, Put some atoms in some room together to, to kind of kick it off. Uh, but once that happens, everybody can start just adding liquidity to the pool and swapping and, and doing all that stuff. I think going forward, we might change the process for how we add new chains, like when we do Avalanche, to make it a little bit simpler and like uh, easier to do and, and less of like less management of it. Like um, next time, we'll, help, we'll we'll do another like vote for you know AVAX, for example, which will be largely just a symbolic vote, just to like kind of get a consensus on the on the nodes from like where they want to do. But it has no real effect on the code base at all, or like, or anything. And so then, once that's kind of symbolically approved, then you know we'll merge the AVAX um, chain client. Uh, we'll do the node spin up, all that kind of stuff, like the the node infrastructure, all that kind of stuff. And once the churn happens, people can start adding liquidity, swapping, all that kind of stuff. And so it's, it becomes much more streamlined and and just kind of not really managed by anybody in particular, which is part of the process of like of building this this chain. It's just moving away from you know, certain individuals using, you know, Mimir admin keys to, to like get us to what we need to get to. You're just kind of removing the usage or removing the, 
the, the admin keys, anytime we use admin keys, we want to kind of re remove or reduce at least uh, where that's being done or, or possible. So I think we'll get a much more streamlined, but I think come Tuesday, we should have Adam, you know, running live on the network and people can start swapping and adding liquidity. It's going to be great. Yes, sir, and that opens up DoorChain into the uh, IBC ecosystem. So then uh, hopefully in the future, we can start seeing some aggregator implementations. I think that just needs to be uh, figured out. And, but really it just opens up uh, trading from all the, all the Bitcoin pools that are on DoorChain, all, sorry, all the pools that are on DoorChain, including Bitcoin. Uh, into the IBC ecosystem, so that should be open on Tuesday. Hopefully, uh, you know, if maybe maybe a little bit later, just because all all this, you know, all these things that need to happen. But that um, everything is merged and ready to go. Uh, the churn just needs to happen to create the vault to to start this thing running. So that next week, people can start adding uh, liquidity and swapping Adam tokens second times. Yeah, that's gonna be great. Um, getting Adam added is obviously a big big kind of like introduction into that that, that entire ecosystem. And then starting to work with like either it's osmosis or maybe it's gravity decks. Like I'm not really quite sure at this this point, like what's happening when or 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 what. But like start that process so that so that you can swap within the cosmos ecosystem directly to BVC without us as a community adding like every chain underneath the sun of cosmos. Like just becomes much more efficient way of operating. Yeah, totally. Me and Mogurky were chatting about this on the Thor swap space yesterday, and yeah, I think for for cosmos. In particular, like the the aggregation is going to be really exciting, just because there's so many so many IBC tokens floating around, so much activity in that world. Um, so you know, once you can go and just swap any IBC asset all the way to BTC, vice versa, anything else that's integrated in in Thorchain, all the other aggregators, like that's when we'll you know that's like the anything to anything vision really coming together. So that'll be really exciting, but. Yeah, just to kind of clarify for people that might be newer, like this means uh, on Tuesday that just the Atom Rune pool is created. So you can earn yield providing liquidity there. You can swap Atom BTC, BTC Atom, everything else, vice versa. But yeah, if you want to go IBC, you'd have to be, of course, doing like another manual step yourself to get into that world. But you have you have the easy path to get there now. So that'll be really great. Yeah, it'll take a little bit longer for the aggregator to, you know, come to fruition and maybe, you know, some design changes, maybe it, it even uh, requires something like an Osmo pool and instead uh, to, to loop in. So, you know, there's some big figuring out that needs to be done there. But, uh, you know, that this it, just adding this chain is the first step uh, towards that journey of, you know, anything to anything. So great, great to be on this road. Uh, also, AVAX coming soon. Uh, that, that's still being worked on. That'll be after Adam. And uh, the aggregator should be ready to go live once uh, that chain gets shipped. So that that aggregator is base is close to ready to go. And once Avalanche AVAX is live on Thorchain, it should be uh, ready for the aggregator pattern. But uh, we have a partner lined up, and it's that, that's going to be a really exciting launch. But that that's to come in the future. Yeah, that's an exciting one. Uh, might we see AVAX on on stage in it pretty soon? Right, like that's got to be getting pretty close yeah it is um i think possibly in the next version either 93 or 94 you might, you might see the avex like chain client be uh, merged into the into the main branch and then once that happens it gets deployed like stage can just go ahead and um that's a nine realms controlled environment so they can just go ahead and just enable it and start, and start kind of kicking the tires and seeing how it goes so it, yeah i think i think we're interested in keep on Pushing forward after we do AVAX, I have to do Adam and go to the AVAX next. And then after that, just keep on keep on rolling out more chains. That's what we like to hear. Yes, sir. And uh, lastly, Chad, before we let people up for questions, um, is there anything you want to say about single-sided yield? I don't think we've really touched on that much on these spaces yet because that, you know, been kind of cooking that design, but it, it seems like it's becoming a little more solid now. So do you want to like kind of go over that design a little bit to help people wrap their heads around this new single-sided yield? A feature that you're proposing? Yeah, I mean, um, I think this is pretty big. I, I consider this to be like a humongous impact. Um, getting yield on a single asset is like, in many ways, the holy grail. It's something that we've been we've been talking about internally for like literally years, and we've been kind of like struggling with implementation that made sense, and you know that wouldn't you know create like a house of cards in some sense, like. Like we, we thought of it different ways in the past, but just like it just didn't feel right. It just didn't feel like it was, didn't feel like it was rock solid. And so we just we kind of felt for a long period that, that there wasn't a cleaner or, or clear solution to it. But um, once we had synthetics done and then we thought about synthetics more, um, 
we realized that that was actually a way to do it as long as you have a way to like to to de-risk the uh, LPs from like a leverage over over leverage from room position. And so we figured that the way to do that was just to use the the you know 170 million room that's in the reserve as just be a, a kind of a counterweight in some sense. And it's like you know the amount of room that the the network has in the, in the reserve is like 170 million. But the only amount of room that can be added to the network today is probably like well last time I looked it was like 20 million room or something like, something like this. I don't know what it is now because it's been uh, a few weeks, but like whatever it's been now. And so like, it's plenty of room there. And and then with doing so, like you open up this massive investment opportunity for the, for the entire industry, right? Like if you think about the number of people, like I think about it in terms of like, like a Venn diagram, right? If you picture a Venn diagram in your head and one circle is like the size of like a tangerine, right? And that's like people who want to earn rune on their room, right? And if you think about people who want to earn BDC on their BDC, like that's a ginormous circle that's like the size of a semi truck because obviously Bitcoin's considerably larger than like you know the rune asset is. And then the union between those two things, like is like the people who want to earn rune and earn BDC, right? For example. And so like you can think of that like it's a tiny little itty bitty sliver between those two unions of those two circles. But if you say that okay, now you don't have to be that in that little sliver. You can now be in that giant semi truck size circle that is that is Bitcoin or that is Ethereum or that is Tether or that is or whatever. Um, that is obviously a huge shift, like in terms of the, the capabilities that this network has and the amount of people and capital that it can service. Just like you know, a thousand x almost overnight in some sense. Um, so that's like the, the the actual meaning behind it, how significant that is for the for the network itself. Now the the problem that comes at this point is that like, well, you launch this thing, all the BDC maxis get happy about it or whatever, um, and people start dumping just BDC into the network and aren't a BDC on the BDC without ruin exposure, which is great. But then you run into this problem of, well, how are you going to secure that BDC, right? And so the the network will basically the caps will be hit, the hard caps rather than the soft caps that we're all familiar with the soft caps in the earlier days of Chaos Net, but now it's like the hard caps, right? Where the network has to maintain economic security. So that becomes like the next thing we have to, we kind of have to tackle as a community is like, well, how do we scale the bond so that the bond can grow with the um, the other side? The answer to that is like, you really can't to some degree, just because the amount of rune in the world is far less in terms of like value, uh, is far less than the amount of BDC in the world or the amount of F in the world, the amount of you know, uh, doge in the world or whatever. And so you, there are, are always going to be a limitation to that. But the intention is that that the value of Rune should, in theory, because there's so much pressure to buy a Rune, because the incentive pendulum is going to swing to the to the, to the the node side, because like a lot of people, everybody's YOLOing into the pools, the yield in the pools will, will reduce and the yield on the nodes will increase, right? So then all of a sudden, like the yield for nodes becomes like, you know, really great. And so then they start, people start buying up Rune like crazy because they want to get that, you know, that juicy yield. And so that creates by, you know, significant buy pressure on the rune asset, which causes the, the value of the rune token to go up, which means the amount of value of the bond side also goes up. So it's going to be an interesting thing to see that happen. And so I think one of the um, the natural things to, to happen is, A, I think we'll see a buy pressure on the rune side just because people are, are contributing rune without them really knowing they're doing it. Like the BC Maxi is contributing rune without cognizant aware that they're doing it. Um, but also we need to figure out ways to make it easier and more readily available for more people to contribute rune onto the onto the bond side, right? Without needing three hundred thousand rune minimums or even complicated infrastructure, which is something that's kind of still being you know researched to some degree. I think we figure out a way to, to reduce to actually even remove the minimum bond requirements for nodes. I think we have a, an idea in our minds of how that can be accomplished, but it's still the same hardware requirements in terms of infrastructure. So we're still have to figure out a way to, to, to reduce that that kind of burden in some, some way. So we're still doing more research on that on that stuff and kind of like and studying more some more concepts and ideas and coming up with approaches to solve that. But this like single sided room single sided asset thing, which does not include the rune asset, it's only Bitcoin or Ethereum or Doge or whatever, um, is really huge for the project. It's actually one of the biggest and most important features we've ever launched other than just cross-chain swaps itself. So like it is, actually, in my opinion, the biggest thing we've done since the launch of the network, in my opinion. Awesome, yeah, massive. Definitely the holy grail to just earn BTC on BTC and things like that. So I, I agree. I think it's huge and can really allow things to scale and um, makes sense too, like what you said about then it just shifts the incentive pendulum because I think one thing people might wonder is like, oh, well then the 
like kind of in the three X TVL sort of equation, people we all love like the the first one X is just coming from the reserve in this context. So it's not really like buy pressure in a sense, but then it still creates all the necessary rune on the security side. So it still allows everything to, to scale up like in tandem, which is which is really cool. Um, another thing I'm curious about, uh, kind of on that with the with the single sided rune is. Um, so uh i know like like with, with thorchain multi-sigs uh thorswap is going to have like a pretty simple ui for that pretty soon and that combined with uh yggdrasil vaults going away i'm still trying to get my head around this but like that kind of creates a a, a scenario where you could have more of like dao run nodes or or something like that uh is that kind of on the right track or is that still like dreaming? <laughs> yeah. So part of the reason why we just, the network doesn't really allow anybody to still YOLO into some random node and just provide ruin or whatever, because it really doesn't increase security because um, yes, it earns, it puts more ruin on, on the bond side, but that, that, that room is now owned by the person running the node. And so in the world, when we, when we did have eager vaults before, if, you know, if uh, you know, Finley Kyle's running the node, and you know he put in like ten rune, and uh, Thoreau and I both put in like you know hundred thousand rune each, just hypothetically speaking, then like he could just come ahead and like steal all the funds in the Ignisil vault, walk away. You know, yeah, he loses his ten rune he put up, but he doesn't care because he walked away with like you know millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, maybe or, or whatever the hell it is. And then me and Chad Thoreau are, are like the ones holding the bag in a sense, and like. We kind of get screwed and we lose all of our, our money that we put into the system. The network itself is fine because everything's still solvent, right? Like, no, you can't really steal from the network. You can only steal from like me and Chad Thoreau in this hypothetical scenario. But it sucks for us, right? And we don't want to set up an environment where like people can get like, you know, uh, rug pull like that, right? So, like, if, if like Kyle was like, you know, a smart guy, and he is, but like, just a hypothetical, like, you know, he runs this like marketing campaign, you know, he builds a brand, he, he builds some sort of like trust, he gets a bunch of people to put a bunch of capital in there, and then he just starts like rug pulls everybody, just like leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth for obvious reasons. Um, since we got rid of Yugoslav Vault, that ability to do so is still there. But it's a lot more difficult to do because now instead of running like one node with at least three hundred thousand rune, you know, to, to turn in with, um, now you have to run you know two thirds majority of a single Asgard, which is like I think it's like twelve or fourteen nodes or something like this, and they all have to be in the same Asgard, which is on its own not the easiest thing in the world to do. So like it would be still hard because you'd, you'd have to have like you know millions and millions of rune that you'd have to convince the community to like dump into all of your nodes and. And like, you know, and, and the community doesn't know that you run which nodes, like you just create different identities for each node. Like, oh, this, this node provider's name is this. And this one's, and they seem like they're separate, but the reality is that the same guy in the background, uh, it's still familiar cow and it's hypothetical. And so like, it becomes a lot more difficult to, to be able to rug pull the community um, for that, but it's still mathematically possible, right? It just, it just takes a lot more capital, a lot more intention in some sense. So um, the idea of running, like what we've said before, of like these light nodes, and, and today it's more what we're kind of um, playfully calling passive nodes, is that, is that like it's a little bit different, that you can't rug pull, uh, you still have to run your own node, and so therefore you can't rug pull yourself, because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But to figure out a way that to allow people to just arbitrarily, you know, throw in rune into a node or into the network in general, uh, and still maintain security, is it's a problem that myself and other core devs haven't really quite figured out a way to do that and still mathematically guarantee economic security. You can like lean on it and just say like, well, you could YOLO into these nodes and that's fine. You know, we'll just open it up on the network side and anybody can just add room to any node and, and like people can just go ahead and YOLO into it. But then we, we can't guarantee that you're not going to get rug pulled, right? Like there's no mathematical guarantee to that. I mean, it probably won't happen because it's very hard and very expensive and, all that kind of stuff, but like we don't lean on probably on this on this design or this this project in general. Like we don't lean on the idea of like ah, oh, it's probably pretty hard. It's probably won't happen. So that's just not the mentality we, we we come from. So what we want is economic security. What we want is mathematical uh, guarantees. And so with most things are not all the things we do are kind of rooted in that mentality. That's what all the bridges say. They just say probably. Yeah, every single one of them is just like yeah, probably right. Like they, if the security is worth. 300 million and the asset security is worth 1.3 billion dollars and it's probably fine because it would it cost you you know 200 million dollars to actually steal all those funds 
So it's a lot of money. So maybe nobody has, has enough money to actually do that exploit, which is probably true to some extent. Like not a lot of people in the world with just $200 million in spending power at their leisure, right? To some degree, but still it's possible. And so I don't, I lean on possibility. And all of those like bridges are just like even worse than that. They're just a lot of them like are, are like, oh, we have a multi-sig, like a two of two or two of four or like whatever, or like, which is just like, I don't know, we're just kind of doing the same mistake over and over again of just somebody just securing some private key somewhere and some box somewhere that just gets pwned and all the funds leaked, like Harmony is the most recent example of that, right, unfortunately. So it's it's ludicrous because we keep making the same mistake over and over again. But um, what we need to do is actually design something that's designed to be secure from the ground up rather than relying on individuals to be, to, to be like you know, the custodians of this entire infrastructure. Right. Sweet. Uh, we have a uh, secret ninja up here. Also, if other people have questions, let's let uh, people up. Just hit the button on the bottom left, the request button, and we'll let everyone up to ask questions to Chad, especially about, you know, people have questions about the single-sided yields or these passive nodes or really about anything. Uh, you know, we're just here to answer. We'll, we'll be here about, you know, 20 minutes to, you know, until the hour to answer. So, you know. Feel free to hit the request button and come up. A secret. Hey guys, a uh, couple of questions actually. Um, first of all, okay, so single-sided yield. I will bring my BTC. What happens in the background in order for me to get yield on my BTC? Yeah, so what literally happens in the background is you walk up, you have Bitcoin in your Bitcoin wallet, right? And your BC wallet address. You transfer that Bitcoin into a, one of the Asgard vaults. It effectively does a swap into a synthetic BDC. That synthetic BDC is then um, kind of locked away in a, in a vault held by the network itself. Um, and then over some period of time, every once in a while, um, we have to define the actual time window for this, but maybe it's like an hour, maybe it's a day, I don't really know. But like uh, the network kind of measures uh, using Luby which is like a way of measuring the revenue that a pool generated. So uh, it generates, you know, let's just say the, the Bitcoin pool generated, you know, $100 in the last 10 minutes or whatever, like it doesn't matter the numbers here. Um, and then a certain percentage of that will get basically minted uh, some more synthetic Bitcoin into the uh, the vault, right? So effectively, it, when you mint synthetics into that vault, you're basically taking um, value from the pool, like the LPs, because LPs are getting 100% of all the trade volume and all the value, blah, blah, blah. Like they're, get, they're earning 100% of everything. And so by minting synthetic Bitcoin into the pool, you're basically taking, you're basically transferring uh, value from the LPs into the, um, uh, the vault, to, 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 to the, BCT, the BDC holders, right? And so how much of that is, is like pushed from the LPs into the, uh, the synth uh, vault, whatever, the Bitcoin vault, uh, just depending upon different attributes. Uh, so uh, the LPs are, are probably going to be earning, you know, 150% of the yield. Whereas uh, think of it like, think of it like uh, an LP puts in $100 and then you put $100. The LP earns 150% of that, like $150 worth of the yield. And then you're earning the other $50 of yield, like uh, of the, the yield that that generates, that $200 generates. You're getting $50. The LPs are getting $150. That might be another incentive pendulum. We've talked about the idea of that being a separate pendulum where um, the amount of you know Bitcoin that's in the pool that is just Bitcoin and then one Bitcoin in the pool that is like double-sided LP, blah, 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 whatever, kind of help dictate the, the kind of that incentive pendulum. But basically, you're putting a BDC. The network just adds more BDC to that vault in one form or another. And then when you want to, you know, you're owning part of that vault and any, you know, yield that thing makes. It's almost like uh, if you're familiar with like ERC20, ERC, what is it called? 4626 or 2646 or something like this. I have like a vault thing, which is very similar to the VThor. Like you're locking up Thor, you're acquiring VThor, and then the value that VThor increases because more Thor tokens are kind of sent into that vault. It's conceptually structured uh, somewhat similar to that. Does that make sense? Okay, so it will get swapped into a synthetic Bitcoin, but then uh, a synthetic, if I understood that correctly, has half price exposure to Rune, or no? No, no. So it is... So a synthetic Bitcoin is collateralized by the pool itself, which is half Bitcoin and half room. But the value of that synthetic Bitcoin is always equal to one Bitcoin, right? So like if the price of room goes down relative to asset, right? You basically, the network will dynamically take value from the LPs to ensure that that, that synthetic always maintains its one-to-one -one ratio with, uh, you know, in terms of value with a, with a layer one BDC. And so if, if room outperforms asset, 
you know, then basically you're losing some of your kind of, uh, the LPs are taking some value from the synthetic holders and they're kind of gaining some value in that sense. That's why, like, when we talk, talk about synthetic utilization in the network, that the more synthetic utilization there is, like, relative to the pool depth is the more of a leveraged position the rune holders or the LPs are taking on the rune asset, right? So if rune performs well, they make more money. If rune underperforms the asset, they make less money. And that's so... Uh, the same is being applied here. But you as a synthetic holder, even though it's collateralized by the pool, which is half rune and half Bitcoin, one synthetic Bitcoin is always maintains the value of one um, one real Bitcoin. Yeah, thank you. That makes sense. Yeah, that was actually my question. If the rune price tanks, then who is paying the bill? And the, uh, the, you answered my question. Essentially, the LPs will pay the bill. And other right. uh, the other way around, if the rune price rises, then a piece will benefit from it. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. Thank you. And another question. Um, let's say because uh, last week or the week before that, we talked about the impermanent loss protection and how like so many rune are in the reserve right now, which are not used right now for the impermanent loss protection because it's so little. Um, have you done like calculations or anything? Because I think the impermanent loss protection is actually most important when the rune price will rise. Let's say the rune price will 20x against Bitcoin, then probably some LPs want to get out and, and take profits. And then the uh, um, impermanent loss protection will get like very, very important. Um, have you done like any? Yeah, calculations on that, or have you thought about that scenario in any way? Yeah, so in that scenario, because the uh, rune price is so high, the the number of rune that is you know that is that is you know liable and from loss protection is actually very very small, right? It's the reverse when when the rune price goes twenty x down versus twenty x up, where the number of rune that is liable, like right now, I think it's um, uh, is actually a domain. Uh, website uh, with a with a live dashboard, you can actually look it up anytime, and you can see within each individual pool like how much rune liability there is. And so right now it's like it's three point seven million rune in total out of a reserve that has one hundred and seventy million. So it's still like you know uh, like one percent or two percent. So it's relatively small, even in this kind of bear scenario that we're in today. If we were if you were in the situation you're talking about, where it's like twenty x up, like runes you know mooning like crazy, blah blah blah, whatever then the number of rune that we're talking about would be like, you know, would be hypothetically speaking, I was throwing out a random number, but like it'd be probably like 20,000 or 30,000 rune or something like this because the price is so high, the number of rune that you need to acquire to, to, to kind of counter the IL, the, the IL is relatively very small amount. Cool, okay. Um, another question to the reserve. Uh, is there any mechanism where the reserve is actually acquiring more rune? Or uh, how does that work? Yes. Uh, so there's two primary ways right now. Um, one is uh, every time there's a swap in the network, there's a small outbound transaction fee that the reserve takes, which I think is like 0.02 rune, I think, or maybe it's one rune. I can't really actually remember the numbers off the top of my head. But every swap actually just generates a little bit of rune to the pool, to the uh, reserve, excuse me. Uh, the other thing is that Thor names just went live. And so anytime you're buying a Thor name or you're registering a Thor name or you're you're extending your expiration on the Thor name, all that gets sent into the reserve. And then the third thing, which hasn't happened yet, but that's part of the single-sided yield, single-sided um, feature, is that the network itself, the reserve itself is now going to become an LP. And so it's now generating a yield, right? So it's going to be dumping rune into, the, into one of these pools or many of these pools. Uh, and then it's going to be earning swap fees, blah, 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 blah and then earning a yield from that. So it's going to be, eventually, I would think that the reserve itself is going to be a, you know, one of the biggest LPs, if not the biggest LP, if not the sole LP in the network and start earning all that yield goes to the reserve. And so it's constantly going to be kind of topped up to some degree. But like, you'll still see like the reserve is like being, if you look at the graph of like how much rooms in the reserve, it's like a, like a continuous downward angle, right, on purpose. Like it's, it's supposed to kind of emulate, at least the, the original math was supposed to emulate the emission curve of Bitcoin in terms of how it works. Like Bitcoin does like a, a halvening every four years. And so we're basically doing a halvening every four years, but just doing it in a continuous way rather than rather than have like a staircase. If you think about like a staircase graph, it's more of like a continuous line at, at a downward angle. And so eventually what's going to happen is the, the 
the income that the reserve makes from Thor names, from swaps, from you know, uh, swap fees from becoming an LP, blah, 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 that like the income becomes greater than the block reward is on the block, right? And so then you're going to eventually hit this kind of like synergistic equilibrium between the two. So even though Rune is like a static asset in terms of the static of the supply, 500 million, the reserve effectively has an infinite supply of Rune because it's constantly getting inbound something and it's constantly spending something and the amount that it's spending is kind of asymptotes to zero over a long period of time. Cool. That sounds really great. Thanks for elaborating on that. Uh, how do you make sure that the earned rune by the reserve are equal to the amount of runes spended by block rewards? Yeah. So if every block, say the block reward right now is five rune, let's imagine that's true for a second. And then the next block is going to be, you know, 4.99. And then the next block is going to be 4.9 and and so like every block it's going to get lower 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 and so but there is some sort of amount that's being made you know an income say the income every block is like three rooms and swaps and door names and whatever it's not so much a static thing it's, it's it fluctuates from block to block or day to day but just the simplicity of discussion will just imagine that the income is three room if, uh, if you kind of like level it out And so then effectively, like the block rewards will, will kind of diminish until it gets to the basically free rune. And so then it's spending free rune and then it's putting free rune in, which means that the block reward is, is becomes unchanged because of the depth of the pool, the depth of the reserve becomes unchanged. And so it just starts emitting free rune and then taking in free rune and then emitting free rune and taking in free rune. Like it just basically kind of hits that equilibrium. Now, of course, in reality, you know, you could have days that have less income for the reserve and days you have more income for the reserve. So imagine a scenario where the, you know, the reserve goes down to like two room, right? Now it's like two room per block. Now we're going to start moving from that three emission curve uh, every block to, you know, it's going to inch its way down to two, it hits that equilibrium. And then conversely, let's just say that the income goes higher because there's more trades or something happens, blah, 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 whatever. And now we're at five. So now we're adding five, but we're taking out two of the uh, of the reserve. So now we're you know, we're emitting two, and then we're going to emit 2.01, and then 2.02, and then eventually you kind of get up to that five number that we're at. So the network will just the reserve just kind of emits, it kind of follows or heads towards the income of the, the reserve. Like it's emitting the amount that needs to get emit to head towards whatever the income amount is. And right now the income amount is far less than what it's emitting today, which is by design but we need to kind of uh start with a lot of room in the beginning just to kind of like juice the yield just to kind of kickstart this whole thing otherwise this thing would never even launch to begin with so like it, it's kind of heading towards whatever the income amount is and right now the income amount is relative to uh the swaps and door names and eventually the yield from becoming an lp okay so the emission at some point has to be adjusted in the future Uh, the emission itself does not like so. When you say when you say emission, I'm thinking the, the term emission curve, and the emission curve is just dictating how fast that kind of line is that we're heading downward. So you know, if you want to kind of have do a lot of room right now and then just can, and depletes it quickly, or just a little bit and it just lasts longer. And so that's the emission curve, uh, which I think initially was a number of six, and today is like I think it's seven or eight or something, I can't remember what it is. Uh, but the, the emission will always be less than the previous block until we get, we kind of like have an equilibrium with the income of the reserve. And then it'll be like basically static or the same every block. Now I got it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, last question. Sorry, uh, taking up so much time. Um, on uh, now that Thor Names has launched, um, can you give us an update maybe on how far Are we on the Monero side? Yeah, so um, Monero is something that we're still pushing for and looking looking to see happen. I'm I'm looking to see making uh, making make sure it happens. Uh, right now, we're still waiting on the Haven team to to finish the Haven implementation. Haven is a as a fork of Monero. They're both crypto note based chains, um, and so uh, once they finish the uh, Haven implementation, then just Copying and pasting in a literal sense uh, to uh, Monero is rather simple and rather easy. And so thankfully, the, the Haven team understands the intricacies and complexities around the you know ring signatures and crypto note kind of chain stuff, which is thankfully they have that because I'm not an expert on ring signatures personally. And so I'm, they're doing all the hard work and heavy lifting, which is great. I, I can focus on building other things. And once they complete with theirs, um, which hopefully is 
hopefully soon. Lots of my saw, they were they had all their like smoke test passing and stuff, so everything is actually functional working on the Haven side. Lots of my saw, at least. I think they're out working on uh, the Exchange AS stuff and that kind of stuff. But like once that's done uh, and that implementation is done, then adding Monero should be a uh, literal copy and paste. Yeah, cool. Just to elaborate on that. Uh, real quick uh, why I think that's really important because might not seem like a big deal right now but I, I listened yesterday to a podcast with Peter McCormack he's like a kind of a Bitcoin maxi but he had a Monero guy on and uh, he asked him the question like what if every central centralized exchange would delist Monero then essentially because Monero uh, earlier last year i think uh, implemented a function uh, which enables atomic swaps for bitcoin but if every sex would uh, um, delist um, monero then monero wouldn't have a market price anymore and then it, atomic swaps wouldn't wouldn't be possible but if it was listed on thorchain and no, no one could stop that, that would be, ThoughtChain would be the place to give Monero a market value. And I think that's really, really big, uh, at least for all the privacy, like you mentioned before, like how many people are into Bitcoin? Yeah, but so many people also are into privacy and then they're using probably ThoughtChain as the decentralized exchange to get in and out of Monero. And I think that's really, really big. Yeah, in that hypothetical scenario where like Torchain is the only place where you can buy and sell Monero, which is crazy to think, but like it could, I guess it's certainly possible, uh, then you wouldn't have arbitrage anymore because there's no way to arbitrage it. There's no other markets to, to kind of crack the pool price. And therefore, whatever price Monero is being you know bought or sold on Torchain is, is actually the literal price of Monero. And if you want to buy, you buy it and it causes the price to go up. And if you want to sell it, you sell it and the price goes um, slowly down. It would be like just like that, which is kind of fascinating to think, but be incredible. Yeah, you're totally right, Secret. And like, as far as I know, Dorchain is the only uh, you know cross-chain AMM that even has the capability of doing something like Monero. You know, n never mind all the other things that it, it already supports, like Bitcoin, which which no one else supports. Uh, Monero integration is going to be absolutely huge. I really hope we get to see that for uh, before the end of this year. Hopefully, the Haven team can get that locked down. I, I know that like they're probably working on a bunch of other things uh, like besides the integration. I know they're doing like a, uh, a like a tokenomics update for their their whole system. Like they're, they're running into, you know, a lot of issues there, especially after the, the Terra uh, crash. But I, I hopefully we can see Monero this year because you're right. It will be a game changer and something that no one else can offer. And uh, just, it just adds to the value proposition of this entire network, which is already so strong. Yeah, there's actually, there's no other project in the space that's even in development that's not a fork of ThorChain that can actually support Monero. Like even something like Chainflip is probably the closest non-fork competitor to ThorChain. And, and for that one, they, they require Snore signatures to be able to interact with a particular chain, which is, um, I'm pretty sure Monero does not support that. And so, um, and same thing with Osmosis, they can't support Monero because it doesn't have IBC or uh, or any reasonable way to, to create IBC. So like, it's really the only ones in space that are even positioned to, to support Monero. And Monero is like making mistake. Monero is very important. I know it's not market cap isn't like as big as something like Bitcoin, but um, it is critical to the, to the the greater sphere that we ha we maintain an ability to 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 have privacy if we choose to have it. It should always be an option uh, to have that choice. And there should be no person or, or entity on the planet that can take away that the ability to choose to have privacy if, that, if that's what you want to have for yourself. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, uh, I'm from Europe and uh, you guys have seen what they implemented right now in the European Union uh, with the wallet doxing and everything like that. So I think in the future, it's uh, it's definitely going to be more and more important, in my opinion. Uh, thank you guys for answering my question. Sweet. Does anyone else want to come up and ask any questions? We have just just a minute or two left here. So we can let one person up to ask something. In the meantime, wallet doxing is like a crazy thing to me. Like it's just it's seeming more and more that toward the direction that the community is like, not the community, but the regulators are heading towards, which is terrifying in some cases. That's the direction it's going. I mean, it, I mean it really does seem like, uh, you know, people don't want us to have privacy, but uh, having an unstoppable unstoppable force like like door chain out here that 
protecting the right to privacy to individuals is super important. I brought up Thor Maxine. What's up, man? Yeah, I just wanted to clarify on the way the um, single-sided staking is working. So the room reserve becomes an LP or to match, say, the Bitcoin single-side depositors. And thus the reserve earns its fair share of LP rewards. And when you're saying that that, like, basically juices the emissions. Does that mean that, that as that money comes in, it then gets distributed to LPers and node operators as like a boost to the block rewards? Uh, no, not so much like that. It's more of like um, as more synthetic BDC exists in the network relative to the, the, the depth of the pool, the more risk the LPs take on. Like we were saying before how like if the room price goes up relative to, to, to BDC, then they make more money, and if it goes down, well, obviously they, they lose money. And so, if there's like if there's like fifty percent of the pool is is like say there's like a thousand bitcoins in the pool, and there's you know, five hundred synthetic bitcoin, that's a that's a very highly leveraged position to take. Like you you have very large volatility fluctuations, and you're not going to be very happy in a bear market, but you'll be very happy in a bull market. And so, it's not so much um, that the the reserve is like giving room to other LPs or whatever. It's more of like by the by the reserve jumping into the pool as well and providing uh, capital, the utilization goes from like 50% and my, my hypothetical situation starts dumping a bunch of room in there. And the utilization goes from 50% down to 30% or 20% or 10% or 5%, even close to 1% or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it just becomes like you're, that it's sharing the load Right, but the reserve itself is like taking on a, you know, the, the the some of the force or the the risk of the LPers and just kind of sharing that kind of you know that load in a sense, right? Mm. Much of a, much yeah, of because a otherwise well. LP like say Rune goes down, the LPs are on the hook for all that, and they'll they'll experience you know uh, a lot of a lot of losses if there's a lot of uh, like synth BTC as minted, for example. Because if Rune goes down and half of the then the synths are half backed by Rune. Then they're they're li- that you know that's twice as much price risk for uh, for an NLP. So by the reserve adding the the reserve takes on a lot of that risk. And obviously we know that the reserve has uh, has diamond hands and a lot of room to, to to put into those pools. So if the reserve is now making income because it's an LP here, like where do those profits go? Who ends up with those profits? Does the reserve just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger infinitely? Or Yes. The reserve effectively is um, earning more and more value. So like when the reserve enters one of these pools, it's not doing single-sided rune. It's actually doing both. Right? It's, it's providing rune, but it's, it's doing like an asymmetic in a sense. So it's actually owning rune and Bitcoin, or rune and Ethereum, or rune and whatever pools we're talking about here. And so you're right. It's just earning more and more yield and it never, it never really withdraws to, to sell its position because it's the reserve. It never, it never sells, right? It's only, it's only going to huddle, right? It's just, it's just increasing its bags. And it has no interest to, to, to sell in a, in a traditional sense of it, right? And so it's constantly just going to be earning more and more and more. And the reserve is just going to either grow or shrink depending upon, you know, the movement of the uh, rune asset relative to the other, to the other assets, right? So if you take like, the reserve is 170 million. And I'll just say that it deploys 20 million rune into the into the, like the various pools, and let's just say that uh, rune underperforms, um, you know, BDC or whatever. That means that it's like its net value in terms of like dollars and cents is probably decreased. But if rune performs outperforms BDC and ETH and like these other things, then its net value has increased in terms of dollars and cents. And so it's, it's it is constantly trying to like to, to use its weight to support the LPs, but also taking its fair share of the of the yield that's generated from all those trades and swaps that are happening. And so what's the overall effect of the, it just seems like, like if it's making profits, are those profits is just being thrown into a vault that no one will ever see the light of, that'll never see the light of day? Does it yeah. ultimately drive the rune price higher because of that or? Yeah, effectively it, it Let's imagine a scenario where everything's performing well, right? And so the the reserve is just kind of growing larger and larger in terms of because it's earning more and more yield. Everything's going great, right? And so it, the amount of rune in the reserve, in a sense, is higher, right? Mm-hmm. It's increasing, 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 and therefore the amount of circulating supply of rune in, in the in the community is decreasing, 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 decreasing. Ah, gotcha. Right. And so like like you can almost think of it like that's rune that's in the reserve is 
room, but it's not circulating. And so like, you think about the, the circulating supply of room right now is like, I think it's like 330 million or whatever the hell the number is. Mm-hmm. And the max supply is 500 million, which the, that additional 170 million that we're talking about is in the reserve. So like the price of room is priced not on the, on the total room in, in existence, which is that 500 million, the price of rune is is on the circulating supply, which is three hundred thirty million right mm-hmm. now. And so, if the reserve is like making money off of this thing, and it's kind of like you know, it's just kind of adding to its to its bags in a sense, then the amount of actual rune in circulation, effectively, theoretically, draws down. Sure, sure. So this isn't newly minted rune. It's just yeah, there's just fewer and fewer rune in each pool. That's worth more and more and more. Yes, if it's if it's like it all depends upon like this the synth utilization and, and the network will dynamically like add its position. The, the reserve will add rune to the pool or re- remove rune from the pool depending upon the synth utilization of that pool. So like say the synth <laughs> cap is at fifteen percent, which is what it is now, and we tell the reserve like, hey, your number is ten percent, right? And so if, this, if the synth utilization goes above 10% or maybe at 10%, whatever, it starts to dump rune into the pool. It starts bleeding rune to the pool slowly over, over a period of time, we're causing the synth utilization to go below 10% back down to 9 right? Mm-hmm. And if it's at 9% and it has a rune position in the pool, it starts to kind of withdraw rune from, from the pool, and then it pushes the signalization back up to 10% again. And so it's, it's just trying to like push yeah. in either direction towards that number, whatever that number is. I'll just call it 10%, for example. And like, so the synthesization for like these pools will be, you know, pushed towards 10% unless two scenarios, unless there's no more rune in the, the reserve has no more rune in the pool. So it can go to 9% or 8% or 7% because it has nothing to take out. So it can just go ahead and keep on declining. Or conversely, the pools are just like 100% stock full. And the reserve can no longer deploy more rune into the pool because it has no space for it anymore. In which case, the uh, the synthesization might climb above ten percent to hit that fifteen percent, or potentially even uh, more, depending upon price movements. Gotcha. So it's almost like a like an expansion tank in a plumbing system or something. It absorbs yeah, pressure shocks it, in one way or the other. Yeah, it goes in one direction or the other, depending upon what the LPs need. If the LPs need more support, the reserve supports them. If the LPs need less support. The reserve kind of pulls back, and in doing so, it's like you know, hopefully, it's it's like taking more, it's it's adding more room to the reserve, and therefore driving down, um, driving down the circulating supply of room, and just you know, causing the room price to go higher, which is obviously something we all want, including the reserve for that matter. Sure. So, is there ever a scenario where the let's say it's you know it's just this crazy flywheel of success, and the reserve grows huge, and the supply of rune is drying up is that ever a problem or is it just like bitcoin where we just it's just infinitely divisible and no big deal well neither rune or bitcoin is infinitely divisible they both subscribe to a one eight notation mm-hmm. there are limits to how much it can be divisible uh but in a hypothetical scenario where like we'll just go ape shit crazy and unrealistic and just say that the reserve has you know 499 million rune in the reserve and there's only 1 million room in actual circulation and like you know the market cap of room let's say the market cap of room is like you know five billion dollars that means that each each room is worth you know mm-hmm. a ton of money right. so it, it becomes a i mean it's a, it's a pretty crazy notion but like the idea that that rooms price becomes so gargantuanly high because the supply is so low is well, that's possible, I suppose, but I would yeah. I would see that to be unlikely. Yeah, just the ex- the extreme edge cases sort of help me understand how the mechanism really works. Yeah. It's, right. It's not like the reserve is stealing profits from the community, so to speak, and just locking them away where no one can get to them. No, it's and not stealing. Actually, it's, 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 sorry, it's taking, the, the other. Go ahead, sorry, Chad. You go. I was going to say that it's not taking profits from other people. It's just like. Well, if the reserve is providing liquidity into the pool, then they should get paid. But it's deserved. Like, mm-hmm. equal sure. It's like equal share rather than, like, you know, being a, a twiddling its kind of mustache and say, I, I'm taking from, from like Thor Maxi or whatever. Like, yeah, it's against its fair share in a sense. Right, right. Yeah. So there, Max, you know, the other part of this, which is kind of, which we kind of glossed over a little bit, but I think it's one of the really important parts of this is that, uh, you know, this, this is the design that lends itself to single-sided yield for Bitcoin. So that lets people deposit in, you know, Bitcoin and some of that price risk of, uh, of Rune 
is you know taken up by the by the reserve and by doing that that allows really really big bitcoin holders and and eth holders to deposit huge amounts into these pools and that really that drives us a lot closer to this you know 3x right. tbl dumping of native assets in these pools and getting the pools really really deep and driving up the deterministic value like the, you know the, the baseline value of rune itself so that right. brings us a lot closer to to that uh you know real value accrual of the asset yeah i was just asking because right. i've seen a few twitter discussions on this now and it seems like a lot of the community is like wait the reserves get a single side we want a single side so that we earn the money now the reserves gonna earn the money instead it's like well, well the reserve, explain no, how everyone still profits side. the reserve is just being a regular lp it's just providing just for well, it, but right it's, Taking yeah. the price exposure of both assets and, and all the good and bad things that, that come with that. Yeah. Um, some of the mentality is that this the reserve will only be involved with like layer one assets. So it wouldn't do like ERC twenties or you know uh, ICS twenties or like anything else that matter. Like just, mm -hmm. just the, the the main asset per chain, which is obviously less risk in doing so. Yep. Um, but yeah, like I think it's I think it's net positive because by doing this, providing this for you know the Bitcoin maxi who wants to earn BDC on the BDC, they're going to be adding you know value into the pools, making the pools deeper. And by making the pools deeper, the price comes down in terms of like swap fees. You make the swap fees cheaper, more people are going to trade. You have more people to trade, like and, you know, creates more yield. Blah blah blah. Like it becomes somewhat right. of a flywheel uh, in a sense. Yeah. And so like it's the black hole. The, that's the black hole and stuff. Like we, that's what we all been trying to do in some regards. It's like we want to drive TBL as, as much as possible. We want to see like the number one settlement layer for like crypto in general that mm -hmm. is used, you know, ubiquitously across every ecosystem and every, you know, not even just like other DEXs but other sexes as well, right? Even other institutions can utilize sure. this as a mechanism to move around as they see fit. So, it, it, you know, getting those pools to be as deep as possible is part of that kind of drive. Yep. Yeah, yeah. All right. Thanks for clarifying. Yep. Sweet. Chad, do you have uh, time for one more person? Yeah, sure. Come up? Yep. Yeah. Poker Crypto. Hey, poker. poker. All right. I have to a prime directive then. We'll leave it there. Hey, guys. Um, it's not really a question. It's more of a comment. I just want to thank you all. You know who you are. Thank you for constantly moving this forward. And please don't stop doing this with the weekly updates. It's just such a great recharge. Every single week I get excited over and over again. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, bud. Yeah, we'll try it. We'll, like, you know, we can't promise to it every single week, obviously, because like, you know, there's always stuff going on. But we, we really do try to do these uh, every week because we know that this is a really positive thing for the community and, and a great way for people to ask questions and really learn uh, just about the project in general. So thanks for coming, everybody. Yeah. Never, you know, doesn't have to be every week. It's just great to know that I can keep checking in in, in, in real time. Thank you. Yep. We're here. We're building. We're not going anywhere. Hi, Chad. <laughs> Absolutely. Keep shipping. Even like us, that's, that's the reason why I love Gary Marcus in some regard is like Gary Marcus is a great time to ship, right? You can get focused, you can get in this right code, ship it, innovate. I love that kind of stuff. It gets me excited in the morning for sure. Agreed, yeah. And like even from the, just from the community perspective, like hearing hearing from you, Chad, hearing from Nine Realms, like hearing hearing from all these teams in the Thorchain space, it, it, it's definitely inspiring like in these times just because so much, so much of crypto feels a bit like on hold. And then, and then in our corner, of, of crypto like everything is just still happening at at least the speed it already was which is um i, I agree with prime directive it's like when, when just speaking for myself like when i hear this stuff i'm like oh yeah like we're we're going like everything is happening so it, it's always it's always fun to to do these spaces and connect with the community and see that everything's moving forward uh regardless of any price up or down situations <laughs> i think especially yeah. after this like big blow up of these like these CFI, DeFi, like hybrids, uh, you know, BlockFi and, and Celsius, uh, it just that just motivates the team even harder to push forward to this, uh, you know, decentralized vision of cross-chain and single-sided yields because that's the that's the holy grail of all products. And we've seen what happens when it's done in a non-transparent way. So this team's never going to stop building toward, towards a, uh, you know, decentralized version that, uh, you know, really gives the opportunity to everybody there yeah i mean I, I have a tendency just to like ignore all the, the crap happening in the news about this chain did this or that some c5 thing happened to that like i don't to some extent i don't care because i'm just i just like have this idea and this vision like and we, we all do within the, the project itself and the community itself of like being able to, to innovate and push forward and like forget about what other people are doing because whatever they're doing solving the right problem oftentimes and for us i'm just like 
how do we do single sided? How do we do like order books? How do we do uh, scale the bond? Like, like these things are like really big movements, massive movements. I would even say that just like are are offering um, a vastly improved mechanism of how we operate and function within the entire space of the cryptocurrency industry. And so, like, we're constantly thinking about like how do we do like lending, for example, in a way that is completely restructured and you know is far better than everything else we've seen in the entire space, right? Like. That's that's what gets me excited enough in the morning to like to, to build and innovate. And so like even though the market's down, the room price is down, like who cares? Like, Single side the yield's coming. There's nothing they can do to stop it. Yeah, and a lot of that centralized competition uh seems like they won't be around to compete. So <laughs> I mean, I wish them all the best. You know, I hope they kind of survive their their struggles in any any project or company that struggles, that's struggled, that's just part of the process. But like if they don't, if they don't last, that's just Darwinism happening, right? That's just um, rival the fittest, right? The ones that have a good design so that are resilient and, and you know resistant to like failure scenarios will stick around for long periods of time, and the ones that don't, you know, won't, right? Sweet. All right, let's let's wrap it up. Thanks everyone for coming out. Uh, see you next Friday. See you, Later, everybody.